Arsenal have issued an update on the fitness of Kieran Tierney, Thomas Partey and Takahiro Tomiyasu. We're going to be diving into that on this edition of the Chronicles of Aguna Extra. I'm Martin Tyler and you're listening to Harry Simeon. Hello and welcome back to the Chronicles of Aguna Extra, part of the Chronicles of Aguna podcast right here uh, on the 90 Min Football Network. As ever, I'm your host, Harry Simu. And on this edition, we're going to be reacting to the injury update put out by the club just a short while ago. There are updates on the fitness of Kieran Tierney, of Thomas Partey, and of course, of our Japanese international defender, Takahiro Tomiyasu, who seems to have been missing for an absolute age now. We're going to get into the update. We're going to break it down. I'll be sharing my thoughts on what this means for Arsenal moving forward, how we can best cope with some of these injury problems. I'll be taking your thoughts from the chat box. And of course, we'll be taking some questions towards the back end of the show as always. But first, uh, as I say, let's dive into uh, that update released by the club just a short while ago. Um, let's start off with Kieran Tierney then. So according to the club's uh, update, which, as I say, came out, what, an hour ago, uh, Kieran Tierney felt discomfort after a training session in his left knee on Thursday, March the 31st. Further assessments and scans have confirmed that Kieran has damaged his left knee. A specialist consultation took place on Tuesday and as a result of further discussions with Kieran and our medical team, it's been decided that Kieran requires surgery to his knee. This procedure will take place in London in the forthcoming days. His rehabilitation program will start immediately after the surgery, um, at which stage a clearer understanding will be established on his recovery timescale. However, it is likely that Kieran will now miss the remainder of the season. He is going to miss the remainder of the season. Um, that's that's pretty clear to me. Um, so we're going to be without our first choice left back for the remainder of the campaign. Um, that's obviously not ideal. Um, I think the fact that Nuno Tavares, despite looking actually quite good earlier on in the season and looking like he was a very capable deputy, has turned in a few stinkers of performances in recent months. And people are kind of, I think, feeling worse about this Tierney injury than we might have done, let's say, four or five months ago. Um, but that's because his performances have been so bad. When you see a player come into the side and you're hoping that he can step up to the plate and you're hoping that he can help... Um, sort of uh, get you through that period of time and then he comes in and shows himself to be the complete opposite it is worrying and at such a crucial point in the season um it's it's far from ideal uh, let me just take uh, this super chat from Said Abdullah before I continue through this and give you my thoughts on the Tierney situation uh, thank you Said so much mate for your very very kind super chat donation it is very very much appreciated and it's people like you and the members and and everybody that tunes in every day uh, that keep this channel going and give me the ability as a freelancer as I always say to commit so much time to it um, Said says Simon Collins reported that Kieran Tierney had a knock for a while uh, pre-international duty. The guy was playing through an injury. He played two pointless 90-minute friendlies carrying a knock. I love Kieran, but that's ridiculous. Yeah, I think I think it's a difficult one, side. I think we can always sit here as, as supporters of a club and be very critical of an international manager's decision to pick our player. Um, I think it, it needs to be... You need to understand that if you're an international manager, you want your best players available all the time. And you care very little for what that means with the clubs. 
Um, I think that in, in previous instances, we've seen good relationships between club managers and international managers, whereby, yeah, they're both pulling for sort of the upper hand. The club manager wants to have the final say. The international manager uh, obviously wants to have his player available too. But I think it's in the interests of everybody to keep Kieran Tierney fit. And as you say, he played 90 minutes in two pointless friendlies and now faces um, a, a real possibility of missing Scotland's crucial World Cup qualifier because of this injury that he's picked up. And you just wonder if the whole situation had been managed a little bit better, would we be better off and would Scotland be better off? I think, yeah, probably. The problem is, though, here, side is that when it comes to Kieran Tierney, this is a recurring thing. Now, I love the player. I adore him. I think he's a brilliant fullback. I think he's a really good defender. I think he's a throwback to what fullbacks used to be when I was growing up. First and foremost, very good, very solid and very competent defenders. He's also proven throughout his Arsenal career that he's capable of getting forward and helping us in that side of the game as well. So on that basis, um, you know, I think that um, I think that we've done, you know, a good job in signing him and it was the right decision to sign him. But you look at his injury record since coming to Arsenal. He's a guy who arrived injured and has been injured on numerous occasions since. And you just start to think that how much longer can we continue to pin our hopes on Kieran Tierney? Like how much longer can we look at this guy and say, he is the left back that we're going to build our team around or we're going to shape our defence around when he's so frequently injured? Somebody popped up a stat in the show that I did earlier on uh, with Mike Stavrou, where it was something along the lines of he missed on average sort of three out of every 10 Arsenal games um, last season through injury. That's just not good enough. It's not good enough. And sometimes players pick up knocks and you think, OK, you know, it's unlucky. Um, OK, you know, he's picked up this injury and there's not a great deal anybody could have done about it. It's unfortunate that he's going to be sidelined. But you look at it as a one-off or you look at it as something that is just pure and, and simply rotten luck. With Kieran Tierney, you have to say he is susceptible to injury. He is more prone to injury, clearly, than a lot of other footballers. An element of that is, of course, um, uh, luck. There's no doubt about that. But I just I just worry um, about Kieran Tierney because this seems to be a recurring theme. Every time Kieran Tierney goes down to the ground, I don't know about you guys, I, I brick it because I think here we go. We're going to end up with our left back sideline for a period of time. It's why I was so pleased when Nuno Tavares came in earlier on in the season and looked actually quite competent. Because in my mind, it was like, finally, we've got a deputy for Chiarantini. Not just because we need one for squad purposes, but it needed to be a deputy that I felt could come in and be comfortable quite a lot of the time because of what was in the back of my mind about Chiarantini and how often he picks up these injuries. So that's where I'm at on this. Um, you know, it's unfortunate. It's it's really shit timing from an Arsenal perspective. Nuno Tavares, as I say, his recent form makes this worse because his recent form has gone off a cliff. I know he hasn't played an awful lot and I've seen some Arsenal fans be critical of Mikel Arteta and say, well, if you're calling this guy in out of the cold and expecting him to perform, then you're going to be disappointed. I think that's really, really unfair on the manager. I think one of the reasons that Arsenal are where they are this season and are in the race for the top four going into sort of the, the, the final stretch of the season is because to a degree, we've been able to find some consistency in our selection. Consistency in selection goes a long way in, in, in sort of creating consistency in your performances and therefore consistency in your results. So I, I look at this and I think that 
You can't sit there and blame Mikel Arteta for not picking Nuno Tavares when Kiarantini's fit because the drop-off in quality between the two is so significant. Tavares, at times, when he's played, has shown that he can be an asset getting forward, that he's powerful, that he's unpredictable, that he can cause chaos in the opposition half. But from a defensive standpoint, you have to say he's always been shaky. And, and so why would Mikel Arteta risk that? Every game over the last few months has been like a cup final for us in its significance, particularly once we went out of the domestic cup competitions. All attention, all focus turned to the Premier League. And why would you rotate if you don't need to? Um, you know, rotation is not something that managers want to do. It's not something that managers seek to do. It's something that managers feel they need to do in order to manage the workload placed on, on players nowadays. So um, I, I don't buy into that whole, oh, you know, it's Arteta's fault because he left Nuno out in the cold or it's Arteta's fault because he hooked him against Nottingham Forest. He was awful that day and he was awful last night. And on both occasions, he deserved to be substituted off. If you want to play for a football club of Arsenal size, where the pressure is as it is um, at Emirates Stadium, then you have to accept that if you don't perform, you will be pulled out of the firing line. You will be benched. You will be shelved, whatever you want to call it. And Arsenal will look elsewhere because... We can't afford to have players that aren't good enough at our football club. Now, I'm not going to go as far as saying that Nuno Tavares is finished at Arsenal. Um, I asked Mike Stavrou that question on the show that we did earlier on today. You know, is this the end? And the reason I asked that question is because of some of the reaction I've seen online. To me, I don't think it's the end, but I think he's on thin ice. I think if he comes in to the team the next time and has another shocking performance, I think it won't be long before Mikel Arteta and the club start to lose faith in him. This wasn't a huge investment that Arsenal made in the player. He is someone that I think they will feel um, is dispensable if they need to uh, move him on and feel like an upgrade is available. But, you know, I, I've been racking my brain over the last sort of few hours trying to kind of come up with what I believe to be the best solution to Kieran Tierney's absence. Is it moving Cedric over to left-back for the time being? Well, it might have been that, but now we know that Tommy Asu is still going to be out for a while longer, which we'll come on to in a bit. Is it putting Ben White at right back, bringing Holding in at centre back and moving uh, Cedric out to the left? I don't think that's particularly ideal either. Is it moving Granite Xhaka out to the left-hand side like we saw in the second half of last night? No, um, I don't think any of those things are the solution. I think the most sensible solution, the solution that disrupts the balance of this team the least is to leave Nuno Tavares in at left-back. Now, that sounds mad and it sounds crazy because of how bad his performance was, because of how bad his performances have been uh, when he's been called upon of late. But I just can't see another solution that that doesn't disrupt the team in other areas. And I've always said this, and, and forgive me if you're a regular listener or regular viewer and you think that I'm going over the same ground again, but I do not believe that the way to solve a problem is to create two or three other problems by create, creating imbalances, moving people out of their preferred positions. I don't think that's how you patch up a position in a football team. I think you try and be um, as consistent as possible in the way you set up, in the way you line up. And then I think you look at potential tweaks you can make in order to try and facilitate that difference in personnel. But I don't think you rip up the blueprint and, and completely change it. I've also seen people talking about a back three. Um, again, for me, that's not the answer. Arsenal have been playing well in recent months, playing a very specific way. And 
to abandon that at this stage in the season, I think is even more of a risk than continuing with Tavares at left back. It will be a different game at the weekend. We're at home to an out of form Brighton side who obviously have ability, obviously have the capability of keeping the ball. They're very good on the counter-attack, got a lot of technical players. Graham Potter's done a wonderful job there overall. But you do think it will be a game in which Arsenal will control possession, dictate the tempo. And so that might suit Nuno Tavares a lot better. If Ben White and Gabriel take up the right positions, if Mikel Arteta sets up the midfield in the right way, and if Cedric is, is sort of given a slightly more reserved role on that right-hand side, then I think you can accommodate Tavares being a bit further up the pitch where he's clearly more comfortable. Um, so, yeah, um, th that, that's my opinion. I don't think we should go back to a back five. Um, my own dad is in the comments and says that we should go back to a back five. I don't think we should because I think that undoes all the good work that we've done um, over the, the, the last few weeks and months. And, and it's a step back for me. I think you try and limit the change that you make in the team. You know, yesterday was a, was a shit night. It was a shit performance. We were all over the place, but we weren't all over the place tactically. It wasn't tactically that we got beaten yesterday. I don't think anyway. I think we got beaten because we weren't as committed as Crystal Palace. We weren't as up for it as Crystal Palace. We were sluggish. We were slow. We looked unfit. We were second to every ball. We were, um, you know, we were overrun physically more than it being a tactical problem. I think when we changed the formation slightly because Xhaka wasn't really playing like playing like a, um, like a normal left back when he went into that position. It was kind of that hybrid role uh, that he's played before. Um, you know, I I think that that worked quite well for a bit of time. And then obviously we went and gave the penalty away, which ultimately ended the game. But I just don't think that we can adapt um, the formation at this stage in the season. I think it's too late. I think it's too risky. And I wouldn't be doing that. Um, he also goes on to say, good old Tony Simu, the Arsenal, uh, the Arsenal man. Uh, who is responsible for my uh, obsession and addiction to this football club. So um, if you don't enjoy the content, it's his fault. Um, he says, if we don't, we will get overpowered. I'm, I, you can't say that we're going to get overpowered by having Nuno in the team over Tierney, when Nuno is much more powerful, much stronger, much quicker. I think that Nuno's got a lot of the, the attributes that mean he isn't going to get overpowered. It's not power that's the problem with him. It's lapses in concentration. It's bad positioning. It's a whole host of things. But I don't think for me um, it's about power with him, if I'm being honest. So I think at least for Saturday, at least for the game against Brighton, you've got to stick with Nuno. I don't really see what an alternative solution is um, that doesn't then disrupt the midfield. You know, you change... You change the shape at the back. You move to um, three at the back. Then you're taking somebody out of our midfield. And then that means we can't press the way that we've pressed in recent months because you've got one less body to do it with. And so it doesn't work and it doesn't fit. So the point I'm trying to make is that you change that one thing. You change the shape. You change everything. And you rip up and you undo all of the work we've done in recent months. So that's why I don't want to see it happen. Um I do think there has to be a slight tweak in midfield, though. I think that we have to go back, at least for the time being, to the two-man defensive pivot. So what I mean by that is it can't just be Granite Xhaka sitting where Thomas Partey was sitting um, and, and being asked to do that role alone. I, I don't think that suits Granite Xhaka. 
So I think that if Lokonga is the one who comes into the team, then him and Xhaka need to sit as that pair and then give Odegaard that license. Again, that does disrupt us in terms of the way we want to press a little bit too. But I think that we need to make up for the lack of stability on the left by adding a bit more steel to the middle and hoping that that means either a Lokonga or a Shaka can sort of shimmy across to the left at various points and give uh, Nuno the uh, backup that he'll need undoubtedly. Let's move on to some more of the updates. Let's talk about uh, Thomas Partey. The club have released uh, an update on uh, Thomas Partey. Um, what do they have to say on the Ghanaians fitness, who, of course, pulled up yesterday during the game and was substituted in the second half? It's a right thigh problem. Uh, Thomas is currently being assessed ahead of the weekend after aggravating his thigh during Monday night's match at Crystal Palace. So I don't think that Thomas Partey is going to be available for... Saturday. Now, that's just what I've sort of heard uh, from a couple of people. I, I don't think that he'll be available for the game against Brighton. But the fact that he's been assessed of the head, uh, ahead of the weekend gives me encouragement that this is not as long term as first feared. When I was looking at it yesterday um, and, and I watched him pull up, I was certain that it was a muscle strain and I was certain that he was going to be out for three or four weeks at minimum. So to see that he's being assessed, it gives me a bit of encouragement. But Arsenal have been so coy about uh, injuries and timescales. The, the example of Takahiro Tomiyasu, which we're going to come on to in a minute, is 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 clear, you know, that it, or it is clear, sorry, that Arsenal don't seem to want to give anything away around injuries. Uh, so you, you have to take these very public sort of um, outputs of information with a pinch of salt. But the fact that he's being assessed makes me feel better about the fact that this might not be as long-term as we thought. Moving on to Takahiro Tomiyasu, it's, a, it's still that left calf problem. Apparently, he's making uh, progress in his recovery uh, from the injury that he sustained in February. He had successfully recovered from an injury on his right calf, then picked up one on his left. Um, and it's hoped that he'll be back in full training after the match at Southampton on Saturday, April 16th. So, this is why you have to take Arsenal's injury updates with a pinch of salt. For weeks and weeks and weeks, we've been told Takahiro Tomiyasu is touch and go for the weekend. He may well be involved. He may just be a little bit short, but we're confident that he's in contention going into the weekend. And each and every single time, he's not been available for selection and he's ended up being left out. Now we're being told that he's not going to be back for another 11 or so days, which suggests to me that this injury was a lot worse than Arsenal ever wanted to give away. And that's why when I read that Thomas Partey um, sort of update as well, I am a little bit wary. I am taking it with a pinch of salt because of those exact reasons, because of the fact um, that they seem to be so quiet and so uh, sort of reserved in the information that they give out on others. They they don't want to, I don't know, is it Mikel Arteta? Does he not want to give out information that could protect potentially help our opponents to prepare. I don't know. But it feels like there's been, I don't want to call it dishonesty, but they're playing the game a little bit with these injury updates. And so, yes, we can only take them at face value because we don't know any different, but I'd be mindful of uh, of what these actually mean. Okay, uh, so that's the update. Tierney out for the season. Thomas Partey being assessed. Um, likely to miss out on Saturday, but hopefully he'll be back in the not-too-distant future. Tommy Asu still unavailable until at least after that Southampton game on April 16th. Let's take some of your thoughts. Let's take some of your questions in the live chat box um, and we shall 
uh, wrap up the rest of the show uh, with some of those. Uh, what have we got? What have we got? Um, somebody's asking why they can't see. Why don't I see Harry's dad's chat? Because he's watching on Facebook because he's old school. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, he, he's a Facebook man. So that's why. <laughs> uh, let's see uh, what else we've got. Um, Side Abdullah agrees with me. We don't have any option. We have to play Nuno. Um, Ostevo and, and a couple of others are talking about Saka at left back and Pepe coming in on the right wing. I just think Saka's been so important for us going forward this season that if you take him out, we lose quite a bit up up top. I think Pepe's good going forward. Um, don't get me wrong. And I think he's probably deserved more game time this season than he's, than he's had. But again, I, I always go back to that point. And maybe it's because, as I said to Mike earlier on the show we did, I'm scarred by what I've seen in recent seasons. But I just always think that you don't solve one problem by creating two others. You know, you, you put Saka at left back, you're then creating an issue on the right flank. Is Pepe as good as Bukayo Saka has been this season? I don't think he is. So you do weaken the team in that way. Um, you know, and 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 that's that's the issue here. You you can be so desperate to fix an issue. You can almost, to, to quote Pep Guardiola, overthink things and come up with silly tactics. And I feel, and I'm not saying that what you guys are saying is silly, but... I just think that we may be overcooking this a little bit. We've got a left back in the squad who has had a couple of stinkers in his last two performances, but overall um, has shown at times some signs of promise. Do we sort of hang him out to dry or do we stick with him and give him another opportunity? I think it's probably uh, the latter. Um, Peanut butter jelly time says, I think the worry is on the bench. If we continue to have more injuries, we have no one with quality. I think the manager will be rightly will rightly have to take responsibility for not buying in Jan. That's another big thing that's been coming up over the last sort of 24 hours. Let, let me just, I want to have a little bit of a rant on this, because first of all, the not buying in Jan thing, that might not have been solely down to Mikel Arteta. And the reason for that is because you all saw Arsenal's financial figures come out. Mikel Arteta won't want to add players to this Arsenal squad that he doesn't feel are the right players moving forward. We've been there, done that. We've bought loads of dead wood in over the past, over the years. He's made such a conscious effort and he's worked so hard to get so many of those players out of the club to now re-adopt that uh, sort of philosophy of panic buying to get you through a very short period would be hypocritical of everything that he's done over the last 18 months or so. So it would go against the process, if you like. The second thing is, when people talk about the players that we let go, with the exception of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, who didn't want to be here, who had fallen out with the manager, had fallen out um, uh, of love with the club, it seems, based on some of the things he said since, who kind of had enough and wanted out. When you take that into consideration, he had to go, okay? Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang was stinking out the place from a sort of uh, attitude perspective, from a cultural perspective, we could all see that. And we've been largely better since he's departed. All right, forget yesterday. We weren't very good. But overall, we've been much better as a team. We've scored much more goals. We've been a much bigger attacking threat this season than we were at the start of it when Aubameyang was in the team week in, week out. So forget the Aubameyang talk. Outside of Pierre-Emerick Aubameyang, all of the players that left Arsenal during the January transfer window are shit. I'm sorry to use that term, but they are. Not a single one of them 
has made me go, oh, shit, man, we, we made a mistake getting rid of him. Ainsley Maitland-Niles, who everybody was ranting and raving about when we let him go, has gone to Roma, cannot get in the team for shit, has performed awfully, has played right back, left back, centre back, all different positions in a desperate attempt to force his way into Jose Mourinho's plans. And Roma have already made it clear that they have no intention of signing this guy when the season comes to an end. They thought he could come in on loan and do them a job. He hasn't done them that job. They've been completely unimpressed. There's reports coming out of Italy, left, right and centre, suggesting that his attitude, the same thing that I've been bleating on about for a number of seasons now, is getting in the way of him sort of doing his job properly. And and Arsenal fans want to sit here and tell me that the reason we might miss out on the top four, which, by the way, was always going to be difficult for us to achieve anyway, is because we've let crap players like Ainsley Maitland-Niles and Callum Chambers, who hasn't been able to establish himself in the Arsenal side for the best part of five years. People are going to tell me that that's the reason that Arsenal are in trouble now. No, not having it. You want to get rid of dead wood, you have to get rid of dead wood. And you can't always... You, you, you can't always just sort of skip steps in a rebuild. Do we have the ability financially to stockpile players? Do we have the ability to bring in, you know, three, to have three players in each position? Do we have the ability to have two players in each position when we're only in one competition and keep them happy? No, it's, it's not that simple. And Mikel Arteta took a calculated risk in, in sort of reducing and thinning out the squad size going into the remainder of the season because because we only had the one competition and because it what it does is when we get to the next phase which is the summer we then don't have to spend the first half of the summer trying to bomb out players and that has delayed us in recent years how many times in recent seasons have we gone into transfer windows going okay well, we want this guy this guy and this guy but first we've got to get rid of this guy this guy and this guy and we could never do it and we'd end up having to hold on and hold on and hold on. And we'd get right to the end of the window and then we'd overpay or we'd panic. No. To right those wrongs, to fix those mistakes, to to sort of reinvent the wheel at Arsenal and get us back to where we need to be, we had to strip the squad back. And there was always a risk that it was going to cause us a problem. We are going to have that problem caused. But, you know, again, people last night after the game, it's all Alexander Lacazette's fault that Arsenal... Uh, didn't win at Crystal Palace last night. It's because we let Aubameyang go. It's because we don't have another striker. Every single Arsenal player on that pitch last night was awful. With the exception of maybe from the 11 that started, with the exception of Cedric, who I thought actually did an OK job of, of containing Wilfred Zaha for large periods. Everybody else in an Arsenal shirt was abysmal. But I don't see anybody saying that it was because of Thomas Partey that we lost or it was because of um, Ben White or it was because of uh, Bukayo Saka or Smith Rowe or Odegaard. Everybody wants to pin it on Lacazette because that's the position that we were all clamouring for, uh, uh, for. That's the position, sorry, that we were all clamouring for over the January window. No, drop the narrative and look at it for what it actually is. Arsenal couldn't create shit yesterday because... We couldn't progress the ball regularly enough and well enough to cause Crystal Palace problems and to have sustained pressure from which we could create stuff. And as Mike rightly pointed out on the show that we did earlier today, the two opportunities we did have, the one that fell to Smith Rowe and the one that came uh, to Martin Odegaard, all of those came off of play up to Lacazette. So it, it just goes to to kind of show that we do carry certain narratives. Um, 
we, we we do do that as fans. We do take them forward and we get stuck on them. We get caught on them and then we don't want to change our opinions. And at times our criticism can be uh, unfair. Let's take uh, some more of your thoughts. Um, some more of your uh, questions. Uh, Jared says, uh, why not deploy why not deploy so deploy why not deploy a 3421 just for the time being this is why teams are successful they have backup plans in case plan a falters and right now teams are figuring out how to beat us i i don't think you can just go like that and change the way you play overnight not if you want to play if you want to execute a philosophy to as close to perfection as possible, it needs to be habit. It needs to be second nature. The best teams in the world, they don't change the way they play. Manchester City play the same way every single week. Liverpool play the same formation and the same system every single re week, regardless of what personnel Klopp brings in, regardless of what personnel, um, you know, Manchester City bring in. If you look at Chelsea at the weekend, what did they try and do? They tried to get clever. They tried to change it up to accommodate a few changes ahead of their Champions League game, and they got absolutely battered at home by Brentford. The point I'm making here is that it's it's much easier said than done to just click your fingers and almost say to the players, right, everything that we've been doing over the last few months that has become second nature to you guys, we're just going to forget that, park it for a minute. And now we've got to learn a completely new way of playing in the space of, what, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday before the Brighton game. It, it's not going to happen. Um, and, and yeah, maybe Mikel will decide to do that. Maybe he'll change it up. Maybe he'll feel that he has to. Maybe he'll feel he has no choice. A lot of people are saying that. I just think that it's that carries a greater risk than just sticking Nuno at left back. If we were playing away to Spurs on Saturday, my view would be different. If we were playing away to Chelsea on Saturday, if we were away to Man United, I wouldn't be saying just stick Nuno in at left back and keep going as we are and try and keep things as close to the same as, as possible. But we're at home to Brighton and that's why I feel like we might, we might just get away with it this weekend. Uh, Amira says, uh, hi, Harry, do you think some of the fans are scapegoating Nuno? Yes, he had a stinky yesterday, but who didn't? Gabriel and Xhaka didn't really help him either, especially being the senior players. Gabriel was awful yesterday. Awful. And not for the first time this season. He's had three or four games like that in the Premier League this season where he's been found out, where he's been really chaotic. He's been really rash and all over the place and his positioning has not been right. And, and he's had problems. And it makes you wonder if Kieran Tierney being there kind of helps keep Gabriel in check in terms of his positioning. Does he use Kieran Tierney as a bit of a marker to kind of know where he is and where he should be? Potentially. Um, look, Nuno, yeah, Nuno was bad, but Gabriel was just as bad, just as bad last night for me. Um, and, and obviously he seems to have escaped uh, the criticism in comparison to his colleague on that one. Uh, Colin says, do you think we should or we could or should recall Ainsley Maitland-Niles from Roma. As far as I'm aware, there isn't a recall clause in that loan deal uh, that saw him join Roma back in January, but I don't really want him anyway, to be honest. I wouldn't trust him at left-back in his current form either, uh, so I don't really think it it solves the situation. But a good point, um, and I'm sure one that a lot of people were thinking. Um, Christoph says Nuno was brought in as the backup. He needs to play himself back into some form. Do not read just the entire squad. Um, I fear let's move forward with some confidence. The club will come good. I think so too. Um, I still think we're moving in the right direction. And as I've said to you guys before, um, as I've said to you guys before, 
one-off results don't undo 18 months worth of good work. You know, as I've said already in the post-match reaction to this Crystal Palace defeat, for me, the bigger worry is about how we cope with these injuries more than what that actual one result in isolation means. Uh, moving on, uh, the Onyx says, Lacquer is crap, Harry, stop it. He's been poor. He gets praised for playing good football, basic stuff. And he does that 70% of the time. I'm not saying that Lacazette is the, the, the perfect striker. I've always acknowledged that we need to upgrade on him. The point I'm making is that to pin last night's de defeat on Lacazette when everybody was crap is unfair. And and the two good moments that we did have in the entire game, he was at the epicentre of both of them. All I'm saying is that, yeah, we need to upgrade on Lacazette, but let's not, you know, two weeks ago or three weeks ago, we were talking about what a great link-up player he is and how important he is to this side, how much work ethic he gives us, how important he is to the, the collective. And now, because we didn't score a goal, we, we want to pin it on Lacazette that we were rubbish yesterday. Everybody was rubbish. Um, every single one of them. Uh, Moss Sports Talk says, Harry, I guarantee that Mikel Arteta has introduced and worked on a back three as well. I wouldn't rule it out. Um, I wouldn't rule it out at all. I think that Mikel Arteta has um, shown in the past that he's quite willing to change formations. But I just think he's he got to the point where he settled on what he wanted. And he maybe it took him a bit of time as a manager, still being in the infancy of his career, to kind of establish exactly what his philosophy was going to be. But I think he's found it now. And I don't see him. Uh, I don't see him changing that. Um, so I'd be. I'd be surprised. I'm not saying he won't do it, but I'd be surprised if he did. Um, let's see what we got here. Flux GT says, given Kieran Tierney's propensity to, if not put country before club, at least play himself into an injury whilst on the international duty, would you sell him in the summer? and bring in a reliable left-back. I said this at the start of the, of, of the episode. Um, you've got to ask the question about Kieran Tierney, right? I don't want to see him go. I, I really like him. I think when he's at his best, he's brilliant. He's solid. Um, as I said, he's, he's, he's shown that he can influence games going forward as well. He's obviously got the right attitude. He displays the right values. It's why Mikel Arteta has made him the vice-captain following Aubameyang's departure. He, he's got so much going for him. But this injury thing, it isn't a one-off with Kieran Tierney. It's a regular occurrence. And when you have this problem over and over and over again, it makes it difficult to plan. It makes it impossible to, to include him in, in your sort of your core group of players. You know, every great team has a core group of players that are ava available regularly and selected week in, week out. And in Kieran Tierney, we've got someone who, yeah, he's one of the first names on the team sheet when he's fit but he's not fit often enough. So I don't want to sell him. I don't want him to move on. But do I think that he can ever really put all these injury problems behind him and ever be consistent over an entire season? No, I don't. Um, I, I don't. I'm, I'm worried about it, but I have been worried about that for ages. If you go back to some of the shows last season, you'd have heard me say exactly the same thing. So this is not new. This is not an overreaction to Kieran Tierney picking up his latest injury. The thing about putting country before club, a lot of footballers put immense value on playing for their country. It's a proud moment for them. And I wouldn't ever want to uh, sort of dig a player out for being patriotic and being sort of, um, you know, 
giving his all for his country. I think that's something that's maybe been lost in modern football, that sort of pride that you take in representing your country on the international stage. So I don't want to take that away from Kiarantini. I don't want to knock him for that. But his ongoing injury issues are certainly, for me, a big problem. Uh, Odradek says, is Vieira, in your opinion, a good or bad manager? Um I think, look, Patrick Vieira's done a sensational job this season. There's no doubt about that. I think he's done wonderful things with Crystal Palace. He's got them playing a much better brand of football. He's got them being a lot more progressive, a lot more on the front foot in terms of the way they play. He's recruited very well. I think his centre-back partnership is very, very good. They're not only very strong defensively. I mean, I think I looked at it yesterday going into the game. 13 draws suggest that they don't get beaten very often in the Premier League. Um, So 13 draws... You know, uh, let me just ha- quickly have a look at wins as well. But whatever the situation is, sort of digging into the stats and deep diving into that, Crystal Palace, ninth place, 37 points on the board. They've got a game in hand over Wolves and West Ham, who are both above them as well. Not that they're going to close that gap, but just to put into context how well they've done, they've, um, you know, they've, as I say, they've now drawn 13, won eight and lost just nine. Uh, they've lost the same amount of games as us this season which is a testament to the fact that aside from making them more progressive and aside from making them a lot more attractive, they are still as efficient, if not more efficient, and they are still as solid as they were when Roy Hodgson was stinking out the place with his boring style of football. So Patrick Vieira's done a good job. I will say this, though. I will say this up front. Patrick Vieira, I believe, will struggle next season. I I think that Crystal Palace will get found out. I think that what he's doing is is brilliant, but is it sustainable at a club like Crystal Palace? I'm not sure. Um, I think that the fact that I've always questioned how good Patrick Vieira is as a manager in the past because of the previous jobs and how he fared in those means I can't get carried away by this and say, yes, he's a great manager straight away. We all know what type of character he is. We all know what type of man he is. We all know sort of, uh, you know, how much of a competitor he is, but that doesn't only make you like that alone doesn't just make you a good manager so um so let's see uh let's see how he fares over the next couple of seasons he needs to do it for a couple more seasons for me before we can start talking about him as being uh one of the best on the circuit don't forget hit the like button subscribe to the channel if you are new uh really really do appreciate uh, all of you guys' uh, brilliant support um as i say we're on the road to 20,000 subscribers on youtube We're around about, I think, about 400 away from that now, hoping to get there by the end of the season. I'm sure we can uh, if we keep things up the way they're going. So uh, please do uh, feel free uh, to do so if you haven't done so already. Uh, Just a quick update that we do have another prize available uh, over on footballprizes.com. Our partners at the moment here on the Chronicles of Aguna podcast for your chance to win a Patrick Vieira signed and custom framed Arsenal shirt or one of the 13 instant win prizes available on the website. All you need to do is click on the link in the description. Head over there, purchase your ticket for £3.95. 199 tickets will be in the draw. The competition ends Thursday, 7th of April at 7.30pm. However, um, 140 of the 199 tickets have already been sold. So there's a good chance that this won't run until Thursday. The auction, the the competition could end well before that. So if it is something that tickles your fancy, uh, do get involved um, ASAP. Okay, I am going to uh, take a short pause. In the meantime, fill up the chat box with some more of your questions. (laughs) 
Okay, let's do this. Uh, GB, going back to my Vieira comments, he says, clip this because Patrick Vieira is going to have Harry eating humble pie next season as he had so many this season. Yeah, Patrick Vieira had loads of people eating humble pie this season for sure. Um, but I think I, I think that he's still got a long way to go before we can talk about him as being one of the best managers in the Premier League. I think it's very, very early days. He didn't do very well at Nice, I didn't think. Didn't do very well. He did okay in MLS, but without being disrespectful to our American followers, MLS isn't the same standard as English football um, or a lot of the European leagues. So I'd like to see Patrick Vieira do well. Of course I would, but I'm not convinced that he's at that point yet. Uh, what else have we got? Uh, just sort of building, re reinforcing the point I made about them being very difficult to beat and a very stubborn opponent. Palace haven't lost this season when scoring first, according to Sam. Uh, in the chat. Uh, Most says, uh, if Tommy Yasu is still out, would you like Cedric perhaps at left back? Would you give young Swanson a go at right back since not wanting to go to a back three, which fits the personnel at the moment? No, um, no. As I say, I, I don't want to see Cedric at left back. I don't want to see Ben White go right back. I don't want to see any more tinkering with the team than is, than is necessary. Look at it this way. If somehow... Thomas Partey is able to pull through this injury. I don't, as I said, I don't think he's going to be available against Brighton, but if he was able to get through this injury and make himself available for the next fixture, you might look at team and think that actually it's only one player different to the team that we've been working with over the last sort of few months. That's been very, very successful. And then that is a minimal disruption of what's been working well. And, and, and that's my opinion. Look, a lot of people have different views. A lot of people look at football differently. That's the great thing about this game. It's something that, you know, we're all, um, you know, we're all entitled to have an opinion on. And we all have very different opinions on because people read it, understand it and see it all differently. But to me, if I were a manager, my philosophy would be I've, I've, I've worked for, if I were Mikel Arteta, I've worked for ages to get rid of, the deadwood from this team, to develop a style of play, to recruit players in the summer that can play my style of play, to get players in who will complement what it is I'm trying to do, that can carry out my ideas on a football pitch. This is what we're going to do. And over the course of the season, Arsenal have been so much more consistent than they have been in recent seasons. Arsenal picked up going into the game against Crystal Palace 13 points more at that stage of the season than we had the season prior. That's a massive improvement. That's a huge improvement. 13 points is big. And then you consider, as Craig so brilliantly puts, hope you're well, man. Uh, welcome to Craig, uh, Mr. Same Old Arsenal himself, uh, joining us in the live chat on Facebook. Um, as he rightly points out, we talked about it earlier on, to pick up 15 points from the last 18 available away from home is pretty damn good. We were due a defeat. That's not to say that the performance was OK and that the performance was acceptable and that we should all just say, oh, don't worry about it and move on. But a bit of context here, a bit of calm is what's necessary. Nuno Tavares could be coming in on Saturday and play an absolute blinder at home to Brighton in a game, as I said, where I expect him to be on the ball more, to be further up the pitch, where he, in my opinion, is a lot more comfortable. He could do that and, and turn it around. And I think there's more chance of him doing that than there is chance of Arsenal 
morphing into a different formation, ripping up their game plan and playing in a completely different way with just three days to prepare and that being good enough to get us over the line in the top four race. I'm playing a percentages game here. I think there's a greater chance that Nuno Tavares, one player, turns his form around then there is that we can get a tune out of Cedric going over to the left side and Ben White moving out of the heart of the defence with Gabriel to play in another position. And then Arsenal completely changing the shape of their midfield and then abandoning the press uh, that we've been playing with because we now have one less person in midfield. You're, you're asking me to change too many things. You're, you're asking me to worry about too many different factors. When in actual fact, if you stick with Nuno, I only have to worry about one going into Saturday's game. Two in the absence of Thomas Partey but it's still less than the four or five tweaks and changes that you're asking me to make by completely switching up the formation. So that's my view on it. Um, I think when you get into a rhythm, when you find a way of playing that works, when you find a philosophy, you need to do your utmost to, to stick to that as much as you possibly can. Do you need to make tweaks in certain games? Yeah, you make tweaks. You don't make wholesale changes. And the very best coaches in the world, the Klops, the Guardiolas, these are the guys who have a very clear identity in the way they play football, who can bring players in seamlessly without them having to adapt to, to roles that are alien to them. It's all built on um it's all built on having a philosophy at the heart of everything that you do. In the olden days, it was different. And I think that that generational difference prompts a lot of people to go, oh, you know, and, and and my dad is a prime example of that, right? My dad, who was in the chat, I don't know if he's still watching, um, was in the chat a little bit earlier on, was saying that we should change the formation. Now, this is a generational difference that we have. I don't think his opinion is necessarily a bad one. I just don't agree with it on the basis that I think football's changed. And and he will always say to you, George Graham um, is, is, a, is an absolute hero. And, and when we were sort of, critical of Wenger towards the back end of his tenure, my dad would always say when we used to go and get beaten heavily away from home, he'd say that would never happen to a George Graham team. And I agree with that. But George Graham, a lot of the time, would build his philosophy or, or his philosophy was to spend as much effort and time and energy trying to nullify the opponent as much as trying to sort of um, impose yourself on, on the opposition. And I don't think that that's the way the modern elite managers today see football. I, I don't. I, I just think it's changed. I, I don't think Klopp spends half as much time as George Graham would have done trying to nullify his opposition. I don't think Pep Guardiola, who I know my dad's a huge fan of, spends time worrying too much about opponents. And sometimes that can prove to be their downfall. But overall, having that strong philosophy, having that strong identity and having the right players and good players in those positions breeds more success than it does failure. So I think that the generational difference, people who grew up watching the likes of George Graham are probably more acclimatised to the idea of, no, we should spend more time worrying about the opponent and doing what we think prevents us being exposed, sometimes more so than what we actually need to do to impose ourselves. And I just think there's been a bit of a flip in football in recent seasons. So that's my view on that. I am going to leave it there uh, because we've been um, 
we've been uh, we've been going for a while. Uh, this was supposed to be an episode of Chronicles of Aguna Extra, which is our short form show, but we've been rambling on for 50 odd minutes or so. Uh, thank you to everyone who's uh, joined us. Of course, uh, lots of you in the chat box. As always, don't forget to hit the like button. Please uh, do that. It really does help. Don't forget to subscribe to the channel if you're new as well. I'll be back uh, soon with some more Arsenal-related content. For the time being, keep calm, relax, put this one behind us. Focus turns to Brighton at the weekend. Win there, uh, bounce back, and um, and we'll look at where we are come uh, next week. I'll catch you all very soon. Until next time, goodbye. I'm Martin Tyler. And you're listening to Harry's